You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Thanks again so much uh, to Dean for being here and for those cupcakes. I mean, I don't want to fixate on cupcakes, but I think that's a really nice touch. 129 of them, and uh, there may be a fast exit from the room today to be among the first 129. It's like going to the Blue Jays game, right? First so many fans gets the bobblehead doll. Hey, first so many people out of here gets the cupcake. But anyway, we're really, really grateful for what God is doing, and uh, we would really encourage you to stop by and talk to Dean and his team about compassion, especially, you know, if you're new to this ministry and you got questions. They would love to be able to talk to you and to share with you about what they're doing. And I know in our church family, we are excited about having them here and what God is doing. Now, I thought about on a Compassion uh, Sunday, that on Compassion Sunday, uh, I would preach to you a, from a text in which Jesus uh, tells a story that may just be the most famous story of compassion ever told. It's a well-known story if you haven't heard it. You have surely at least heard of it. It's referred to, it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Now it's a story that Jesus told about a man who had compassion on a complete stranger. He found this guy robbed and beaten and bloodied, and he administered to him first aid. He took him and cared for him and provided for him. Do you know this story? Hands up if you know this story, the story of the Good Samaritan. Okay, so I was right. I knew that you you probably knew it, or at least you've heard of it. This, this is a, a really well-known parable. So well-known, in fact, the term Good Samaritan is actually a fairly commonly used expression. You know, somebody stranded on the side of the highway and a Good Samaritan stopped to help them. Even in the province of Ontario, there is a law on the books called the Good Samaritan Act. And it's there to, uh, it's designed to encourage people to help others in medical distress by protecting them from being sued if something goes wrong in the helping of that person. It's a, a law, the Good Samaritan Act. Now, while the parable of the Good Samaritan is widely known, I would suggest it's also widely misunderstood. I say that because I think many who hear the story quickly assume that the point of the parable is that we should all do good to others. That's not the point of the parable. Ask the average churchgoer why they think Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a good chance that they will say something like, because he wants us to love our neighbor. Now, he does want you to love your neighbor, but that's not why he told the parable. It's not the point. It's not its purpose. So why did he tell it? Well, the reason that Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan is because he wants to show us something that we really need to see that on our own we usually don't see. There's something he wants to show us that on our own we often usually don't see. But if we have ears to hear, And if we have hearts to to receive, then we'll have open eyes to see why it is that Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And now I want you to see it for yourself. So go to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and it's in chapter 10, 
verses, uh, starting at verse 25. It's Luke 10, 25 to 37, in which we have a, a real-life incident here in the life of Jesus where he's going to encounter a man, and he is going to tell him the story. He's the first hearer of the story of the Good Samaritan, this parable. Now, some things for you to know about parables. Uh, I think maybe the most important thing is what they are. It's a story that Jesus made up to teach truth to teach spiritual truth. So, so when we get to the parable in the passage, the, the, the Good Samaritan story, it didn't actually happen. It's a story that Jesus told. He made it up. But he made it up to tell us, to help us to see something, to teach a spiritual truth. A couple other things I think are really important to know about parables is every parable has some kind of surprise factor. Like there's always, in Jesus' parables, there's always something you just didn't see coming. There's always kind of a twist or like, whoa, I didn't expect that. There's, so there's always a surprise factor. There's also always a squirm factor. By squirm factor, I mean there's, there's always something in or about this parable that pricks the conscience and that makes us face things about ourselves that we may really not want to face. So watch for, as we, work th- as, you, as we work through this text, watch for the surprise factors and the squirm factors, okay? Just keep an eye out for those, because uh, they're coming. Now, the context here, verse 25, Luke tells us what happened. He says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, talking about him as Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, understand a lawyer in this context is not a lawyer as you or I would understand it. It's not somebody who helps you out in court. No, a lawyer in this context is somebody who was an expert in Jewish Old Testament law. Okay, this is somebody who knows the Old Testament scriptures really well. He's a lawyer. He's an expert in God's law. So he is somebody, when it comes to scripture, he knew the scripture. When it came to knowing biblical truth as they had it in those days, he is someone who knew it. But he, and he asked Jesus an incredibly important question. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question, isn't it? Like, like what, what will I do? I want to know that I'm going to heaven. How can I know that? That's a really important question. But we should be aware on asking ourselves, why is he asking it? Why is he asking? Well, in the text, it says in verse 25, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So it's one thing if he's asking, like honestly asking, I want to know I'm going to heaven. How could I know? But Luke says, that's actually not really what was going on here. He had a motive, and that was he wanted to test out Jesus. He wanted to try him out, wanted to see what kind of an answer he would give him, and will his answer line up with my answer? So Jesus hears this question, and he recognizes the motive behind it. Notice what he says, verse 26. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Like, ever had somebody ask you a question when you know they've already got the answer they just want to see? Right? So Jesus is like, well, you, you ask as though, you ask as though you already know, so you tell me. Well, how, what does the law say? What's written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. See, he knows the law, doesn't he? He knows God's word. And Jesus said, verse 28, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Ding, 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 you got it right. But then Jesus says something surprising. Remember the surprise factor? He says, you have answered correctly. He says, do this and you will live. 
Now, that's not exactly what I'm expecting to read here. I'm expecting here that Jesus is going to uh, say something about maybe now give him a preview of the cross. Okay, I can see you know the word. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. I would expect, you know, the question is about eternal life. I would expect Jesus is going to give him maybe a preview of the cross or maybe uh, explain to him that, okay, so you see that, that, that this is God's law. But of course, you know that we've all fallen short of God's law. I would kind of expect Jesus maybe to, to say that. And, and we might expect him to at least ask the question, have you done that? But that's not what Jesus does. He says, well, you seem to know the answer. He answers a biblical, he gives a biblical answer and Jesus says, you've answered correctly. So go and do this and you will live. Jesus is like, you say that the law teaches you're to love God with everything you got and love your neighbor. So if that's what the law requires, then go and do that and you'll have eternal life. Now, we can see in the text here that things are now getting uncomfortable Remember the squirm factor. We got the surprise factor. Oh, here's, and there's more surprises to come. Now we've got the squirm factor. And notice, because notice in verse 29, you can see, you can feel him squirming. Verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see what's going on? So he's answered correctly. What does the law say? The law says you love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, bingo, you're good answer. Ding, 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 sticker for you. Now go and do that and you'll live. And now he's feeling something. What's he feeling? An uneasiness. He's squirming. I know he's squirming because the Bible says here he sought to justify himself. When you seek to justify yourself, it's typically because you feel like you're on the spot. You feel like you're maybe being accused of having failed or having been in the wrong. And now you're looking for a way to explain how from your perspective, you're actually in the right. But somewhere in your heart, you begin to doubt yourself and thinking, maybe I am in the wrong. So Jesus, going on his answer, love your neighbors yourself. What do you mean by neighbor? Sort of like if you said to your kids, did you clean your room like I asked you? What do you mean by clean? <laughs> That's kind of what's happening here. Let's, let's work out our definitions here. He's thinking, oh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I love the people who are nice to me, but... I do have people that aren't. Sure, that's, is, that my, is that my neighbor? See what's going on? There's a squirm factor. Seeking to justify himself. Of course, he seeks to justify himself because he assumed himself at the beginning of this conversation to be righteous. Remember, he came to Jesus not to find out how to have eternal life, but to put him to the test. He came thinking he already had the answer to the test. And now he's being given, he's being shown the test results and he's seeing it's not, it's not uh, aligning up. The lawyer's squirming here because he expected to get an answer that he could analyze, but now he's being given an answer that analyzes him. He's squirming. See, he asked Jesus a question to see if Jesus would agree with him, but now he discovers, he's sensing there's something in himself that doesn't agree with Jesus. Make a note of this. We have a problem, and Jesus is exposing a problem, namely a sin problem. On our own, we don't see our own sinfulness. Or you could put it this way, on our own, we don't see our own fallenness. Bible tells us that we are sinful, that we are fallen. This man, this, this dear man, this lawyer, he knows the law, the love of God with everything I've got, love my neighbor as myself. 
to love my neighbor genuinely, truly. And now he's asking, well, what do you mean by neighbor? Let's work out our definitions here to see if I measure up and see Jesus is already, he hasn't even told the story yet. And he's already at work laying bare the fact that, you know what, you have a problem that you don't see. And that's that you're fallen. On our own, we don't see our own sinfulness. You see, the first hearer of the story He's going to hear the story of the Good Samaritan is a man who is, he's self-righteous. Self-righteous. And I don't mean that in some accusatory, slanderous way. I just mean it's in the way that it is. That he presumed himself to be right because of who he was and that he knew the law and his upbringing and his background. He presumed himself to be right. And I would say to you that that's not far from the prevailing mindset in our culture. Most people you know see themselves as basically good. And while imperfect, we presume ourselves to be good enough for God. I mean, he'll understand. He'll give me, I mean, I haven't been perfect, but he'll give me a pass because at the end of the day, knowing me and my record, it'd be unfair of him to condemn me, to cast me away. We're quite confident, generally, broadly speaking, we're quite confident in our finely tuned sense of morality. And loved ones, understand this. Our culture does have a strong sense of morality. It's skewed, it's twisted, it's broken, it's fallen. But we live in a world that, and in a culture where we very quickly and with regularity presume ourselves to be basically good. Nobody's perfect, we say, but the admission itself is rooted in a kind of self-righteousness because we just don't see ourselves as... I mean, nobody's perfect. I'm no exception. But we don't see the fact that we are fallen. Listen to Isaiah 1, verses 5 and 6, describing the fallenness of people the prophet says, the whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. And you're like, are you talking about me? No, it's God talking about me and you. Psalm 36, verses one and two. It's on the screen. Do you have that verse on the screen? Psalm 36, one and two. I just wanted to want to get that up there for you. Sorry, I went in reverse order. I just did that just because I'm cruel and a sinner, fallen, remember? Remember, can you get that on the screen there? I want them to see this. I have it in my notes, but I have it, yeah, I want you to see this. So listen to the psalm here. It says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. In their eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. We have a very high view of self. And we spend a lot of time protecting ourselves and our high view of self. This is why dude is squirming. It's the same reason why you and I are squirming when we read a text like this. Because we're confronted with our own sinfulness. And in our sinfulness, we kind of want to defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And uphold our own sense of self-righteousness. But Jesus here meets this kind of flattery head on with the parable. He says, do this and you will live. Verse 29, but desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells him a story. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everybody knew in those days that's a dangerous trek. There's lots of robbers, lots of danger. You don't, you don't go there without your bare mace. 
He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now remember I talked about surprise factor and squirm factor? As soon as Jesus uses the word Samaritan here in the story, both of them come to, come to a head. Because the Samaritans, for Jesus' audience, this man here, the Samaritans were hated, were hated people. It's kind of a long story. But Jews and Samaritans did not like each other, despised each other, thought very much ill, nasty things of each other. And here the guy can see it coming here. We've got a priest who knows the law. He knows. He knows what the law says. He knows Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. A Levite. Levite was also someone who's well-respected, religious person, devoted to serving in the temple, assisting the priests. He knew Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So he hears the story. There's a priest that sees this guy bloodied and battered. And what do they do? Just look the other way. Cross the street. Pretend, pretend like, oh, I just, was there a person over there? Was there a person? Or, and the, 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 the Levite comes along and just, yeah, I don't want to just pretend I don't see it. And listen, before we dump on them, this is really easy to do. On my way to church, two, three weeks ago, on my way to church, I took a route I don't normally take. And as I'm going down the street, I see a man laying on the boulevard next to the street, face down on the ground, and a woman on a cell phone. What does Pastor Ross do? I got to get to church. I got a sermon to preach. I was actually, the reason I went this way is I had a library book to return and my son was with me, so I had my runner. So we went in the, so I drove past the man face down on the ground. All God's people were like, <gasps> shame on you. Went to the library and I'm thinking about this. Why was there a man face down on the ground? I should go back. Drop the library book off, go back. And here's this poor man face down on the ground uh, he's just totally confused. He's late. There's two women there. They've been out walking, and this man was laying there. He had a dog with him, and he was totally incoherent. And so I'm trying to talk to him, and he's, he's struggling to try to get up. And I don't know much about first aid other than I know that if you don't know what's going on, try not to move too much. Call an ambulance and wait. And, and so here I am uh, with this man, and he begins, as he begins to pull it together, I can see there's another element of problems that he doesn't speak English. And so here I am. Now, now, I'm at the side of the road, and I'm looking at my watch and seeing this man on the ground. And you think, how can you be looking at your watch? Because I just, I'm a person, okay? I got problems. And I'm thinking, when is the ambulance going to get here? Because I got, I got places to be. I'll have you know, I stayed with the man, comforted him, I even prayed for him, and waited until the ambulance came, and then I called Pastor Alec, I'm like, I'm on my way, I'm on my way, all right? So I kind of was the good Samaritan, I get my little sticker, it's all good, you don't have to be ashamed of me, yay, Pastor. Now, all I'm saying is before you dump on the priest and the Levite, you know as well as I do, I ain't the only person here who's ever been tempted to see someone in need and walk the other way. But in the story, Jesus says, a Samaritan. And the lawyer is like, <laughs> Samaritan. And the Samar if it was a Samaritan and a Jew, it would have been the same thing. 
A Samaritan, as he journeyed, verse 33, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds. Now think about that. Do you think he had a first aid pack, like a little first aid fanny pack on him? No, no, no. What bandage he had? This is clothes he would have had. So they would have intuitively known. If he's bandaging up his wounds, he's taking, his, like, taking off. I'm not going to do that. I need this shirt for second service too. Taking off his shirt, tearing it up, bandaging him up. Amazing. Pouring on oil and wine, just what he had for his travels to, to soothe and to care. And an antiseptic. And he set him on his own animal and brought Unun in and took care of him. Like, where was he going? He had places to be. Probably had a sermon to preach somewhere. Like, where is he got to be? I don't know. But look at the compassion, the care, and he cares for him too. And the next day he took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you need, I will repay when I come back. It's like the modern equivalent would be like, here's my credit card details. Just charge my card, whatever it is that he needs. Now, Jesus says, verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Hmm. Did you notice what Jesus did here? The question, first of all, was what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what does the law say? You tell me. Love God, love your neighbor. Good answer. Go and do that. Wait a minute. What do you mean by neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And now Jesus says, he asks him, notice the question he asks him in verse 36. Which of these three do you think, not not, which of these three, not in terms of defining who a neighbor is, but notice he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The question, Jesus says, isn't who is my neighbor. You're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking is, to whom am I a neighbor? You see, it's not so much what kind of a person is my neighbor that the lawyer needs to be figuring out, but what kind of a person am I? And that ought to be revealing. Jesus shows him the very fact that he sought for a definition to the word neighbor was evidence of the fact that you already know in your heart you've not kept God's law. The law says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live, Jesus said. But Jesus is showing him here in this story you haven't done that, have you? Even the very presence of the Samaritan in the story was surely causing some serious squirm factor. What this ought to have revealed to the man is, listen, the reality is, is that, well, God's law is that I'm to love him and to love my neighbor. I haven't really, truly, consistently done that. The point Jesus is making is this. Though we may not see it, we are indeed sinful. Though we may not see it, we are indeed sinful. I think maybe even a better way to put this, this and I, I just, just this morning I was thinking, I think a better way to put it is we are indeed fallen. Or another way to put it is we are nowhere near as righteous as we like to think we are. 
We're nowhere near as righteous as we like to think we are. We fall short of God's standard. When Jesus said in verse 30, 37, you go and do likewise, the, the narrative ends and, the, sheen, and the, the scene shifts. What should have happened here, though, is when Jesus says, you go and do likewise, the legal expert should have recognized immediately, should have said, but I can't. I, I can't do this consistently. I haven't done this consistently. In fact, truth is, I don't even want to do this consistently. Oh, yeah, yeah. For, for people that I love, for my family, sure, sure. I'll do anything for my wife or my kids. But a stranger? Or how about my enemy? No. I've fallen short. Though we may not see it, we're nowhere near as righteous as we think we are. And this is what the parable is designed to do, is to show us just how we've fallen, to just show us, I'm not the Samaritan. Oh, I have been the Samaritan. Give me the sticker three weeks ago. I eventually got around to it going back there. But there's all kinds of ways in which I have fallen. Oh, sure, I was kind to that man on that day, but have you heard some of the ways in my life and my marriage that I've spoken to my wife? Have you seen some of the things that I've thought in my mind about people who crossed me, who have wronged me? Oh, I can give myself a winning, a passing average of the people who are kind to me and nice to me. But Jesus comes along and says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in my heart, my reaction is, I'm telling you right now, if this gets me fired, it gets me fired. I don't want to. Because I hate those people. I don't like them because they're nasty to me. Or maybe even it's more sinister than that. They're just different from me. And in my heart, I don't, don't want to. And what this parable does is we see the Samaritan and the lawyer is going, Puh. but then he sees he's the one who's the neighbor. He's the one that's giving evidence of getting it. And it's exposing, exposing our fallenness. The Bible says, Jesus tells us where to turn the other cheek. Oh, I, I've done that. Should have seen it one time. One time my brother made fun of me and I just ignored it. And I just said, oh, Jesus loves me, so I love you. Yeah, but a week later, I punched him in the jaw. And every day in between, I waited in the weeds for an opportunity to do it. Oh, but they all saw me down at the church. Oh, wow, what a great example. But in my heart, no. We're told to forgive. But you and I know when we think about it, if we're honest, we're selective in that sometimes. The reality is, James says, he says this, James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. You say, that's pretty exacting. God is holy, and he's the standard. This parable is designed to show us something about ourselves that we've fallen short. And... It's told for a purpose. See, the, the problem is that we, 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 on our own, we don't say our own sinfulness. The point is that, though we may not see it, we are indeed sinful. We're not as righteous as we think we are. But the purpose is to give us a true sense of that and to move us to a place of seeing that we need mercy, too. We need mercy, our condition is like the bloodied and battered person on the stranger on the side of the road. We're fallen. 
We're broken. And this is what Jesus is after with his lawyer. He wants the man to see it for himself. I'm not as righteous as I think I am. And to recognize his own brokenness so that he'll be moved to a place where he can really answer the question. Remember the question he began with, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? The answer from this parable is what you must do is you must receive mercy. You must have mercy because our, on our own, we don't have eternal life. On our own, we're fallen, we're broken, we're separated from God. We, but the, the parable is designed to show us that so we'll come to a place of saying, I haven't done this, I've fallen short, and what I need, if there's any hope for me, is I need you, God, to be merciful to me, a sinner. It's the cry that we read in Luke 18, 13 in another parable that Jesus told about one man who saw himself righteous and there it was praying and said, God, I thank you. I thank you for what you've done in my life. That's not a bad prayer to begin with. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you, God, so much for the fact that I am not like that wretched tax collector over there. See, tax collectors were hated and despised. And he prays and thanks God. Thank you, God, for your work in me. It's, it's true about the power of God. You are great in sanctifying. The work of your spirit is awesome. It's so awesome, in fact. Look how I am. I'm nowhere near like that guy over there. What does that show? Same thing that Jesus is trying to show this guy. We are often blind to our own fallenness. But in that parable, the tax collector, who's being despised by the prayer warrior, the tax collector cried out to God these words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's why Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'd see that Samaritan being the neighbor and ask ourselves, is that me? We see the Samaritan upholding God's law and we can say, well, maybe that's me on occasion. But that hasn't been me every day, any day, every day. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I must have mercy. As long as you think that you on your own are safe and secure for heaven and you don't think you need help, you'll be totally lost. And you'll never ask for help. As long as you think that you are good enough on your own, you'll never see the need for a savior. Oh, it's nice Jesus died for me. But somewhere in your heart, you won't get the fact that I need him. And until you get the fact that you need him, you won't trust him. And that's serious stuff. Remind me one time, I was whitewater rafting, which is a little funny for me, because many of you know, I'm not into thrill-seeking adventures. I don't, I don't like that. Like, hiking is okay, as long as it's not serious heights or anything like that. But, like, doing stairs is about all the excitement I need in my life. I'm fine with that. But here I was, for some reason, got talked into it, went whitewater rafting. And um, it was a terrifying experience, I'll just tell you. It was, uh, I acted like I was having a good time because I was with a bunch of other guys and you, got, you don't want to look like you're actually wetting yourself. It's great cover though because, <laughs> great cover because you're soaked anyway. <clears throat> but um, just so the elders know, that wasn't actually in my notes, so you know guys. Anyway, we made it through. We went through this one rapid that was called the Greyhound Bus Eater. Oh, yeah, and they told us that before we went in it. Greyhound Bus, for those of you who aren't, uh, who are younger than 15, used to be a bus line, a uh, big coach bus, the Greyhound Bus Eater. The implication is you go into this rapid, you might come out. 
And so we go through this rapid, and it was a harrowing experience. Like, just all you see is just water everywhere, and you're supposed to paddle. The guide in the back is screaming, paddle, paddle, paddle. I was, I had, I was holding on to the rope, and I had my hand on the paddle. I'm just doing this. Okay, I'm paddling. But I don't care. If this boat goes, I'm holding on. Anyway, amazingly, we got through it, and we pull over to the side, and it was a harrowing experience. And we're all like, yeah, yeah, we're men, yeah, yeah, and everything like that. And I'm thinking, I ain't ever doing this again. <laughs> Next boat comes through, and these poor guys, are instructor, he's yelling, paddle, paddle, and they hit the wave, the funny, it's just this wall of water, and they come up and over, and their whole boat capsizes, right? I'm like, thank you, God, that wasn't me, right? <laughs> right? Thank you, God, I'm not like those poor saps that are drowning in the water. Anyway, they're there. Of course, they all got life jackets on, and so there's not really a risk that you're going to drown, per se, but there's a lot of rocks. There's a lot of rocks, and if you are out swimming and you don't have that raft, you are in for a rough ride, and here's this one poor guy, couldn't get a hold of the rap. He's out there bobbing in the water, going down the rapids. And so this amazing, this guide, the guide with the company, he had, he had a, a rope and a bag. And it's just amazing. These guys, are just, they're super, they're amazing professionals. He took that rope and threw it way out in the rapid. And the rope splashes in the water and floats down and comes right to the guy. And he grabs on. We're like, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, we're men. We saw that. Yeah, awesome. And so they start pulling the guy to the shore. But then, you know what the guy did? He let go of the rope. He let go of the rope, thinking to himself, oh, I got this. I can swim to shore. No, you can't. You can't swim to shore. Those rapids are strong. He let go of the rope. We're all like, no. And he went down. I mean, he lived and everything like that. But can you imagine how many rocks he must have hit on the way down? And like, it didn't have to be like that. You had the rope, it was right there. And he said to himself, I'm good. I got this. I wonder if any of you are saying that to yourself today. You hear this about Jesus? And you come in here, it's good to be at church. It's nice to sing these songs. Good to hear about Jesus. Maybe you even agree that, oh, Jesus died on the cross. And I, I believe he rose from the dead. But do you recognize that you need him? You need him. You must have him. Because unless you do, you will be like that guy. Say, oh, here's the rope. Wonderful. But I'm good. I'm good. I'll swim this on my own. You will not swim it on your own. You won't make it. Because you've fallen short. And to show how fooled you are, you're already not making it. But you're not necessarily seeing that. Because you're saying to yourself, I'm okay. I'm good. This is the purpose of this parable. To show us our sin so that we'll see we need a savior. We need mercy. And wonder of wonders. Wonder of wonders. There is a savior. And there is mercy. See, when we read this story that Jesus made up to make this truth, to, to teach us this truth, we read about the Samaritan and we recognize that, you know, I haven't loved consistently, perfectly like this good Samaritan, but there is someone who has. He wasn't a Samaritan, but his name was Jesus. 
And while we see this Samaritan here loving with sacrificial, lavish love, we're reminded of Christ who also did the same. A sacrificial, lavish love, a costly love where he died on the cross and he's come to you a broken and bloodied and spiritually sick person with bandages of salvation and salve and ointment of forgiveness of sin and money and, and, and a kind of spiritual money and wealth that you could never find in your own to make you his own. You see, Jesus is the good Samaritan. And you, my dear friend, even if you don't feel like it today, I want you to understand you are and I am that bloodied, beaten person left for dead on the side of life's road. Wonder of wonders, there is a Savior, and my appeal to you today would be to turn to him and receive that salvation. You say, what do you, what do you mean turn to him? How, how, how do I turn to him? You put your trust in him. You see with the eyes of your heart, you recognize that Jesus is that good Samaritan who died on the cross to save me. He is the Savior that I need. I need a Savior, and he's the one. And you trust him to do it. I think a great way of expressing that trust is to tell him, to talk to him in prayer. You can do it out loud like I am right now, or quietly in your mind, and to tell him, Lord Jesus, I see, and I see today really clear that I need mercy, and I'm asking you for it. You see, the purpose of this parable is so that we will see our sinfulness and our need for God's mercy. In Christ, and wonderfully, God has been merciful to us. Will you turn to Jesus? Will you trust Him? Will you be repentant by that mean? Stop telling yourself, I'm good, I got this, and recognize that you need Jesus. Dear Christian, dear brother or sister, hearing this, being refreshed today, reminded of the gospel, will you be exultant with me in the real Good Samaritan who's come to us? I mean, where, what kind of a bloody mess did he find you in? What kind, of, what kind of ditch did he come and meet you in? Aren't you glad he came and found you there? Aren't you glad that he came with those bandages, with that ointment, with that oil, with that antiseptic to cleanse you? Aren't you rejoicing that you, as unworthy as you are as I am, that he came and got involved with us? to make us his own. Loved ones, be exalted. And I would just say finally in closing also, be benevolent. When you're loved like this, it does something to you. Paul says the love of Christ compels us. It compels us to serve. So be benevolent. Look for people to pray for. Be, be committed to compassion. Sponsor a child today. That could be something you do in response to the realities of, of, being, of being loved and being saved and being cared for by Jesus. Pray for, for compassion. Pray for people who persecute you. Pray. Ask the Lord, Lord, show me today someone who I can love in your name because you have loved me. And in so doing, bring glory to yourself and joy where joy is lacking. Let's pray together. Lord, we're really grateful Lord Jesus, that you indeed were that good Samaritan who came and who cared. We're also grateful, Lord, for the fact that you've loved us enough to make us squirm. Lord, you've not left us on our own, but Lord, you have come and you have spoken. And I pray, Lord, that you would give open eyes to see our need for you and Lord, you'd refresh our vision to see again, to see anew the greatness of your mercy. 
Lord, we love you. And I pray that today, even today, Lord, that a person in the sound of my voice who's seeing their need of a Savior, Lord, would come. Would cry out to you, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And now, Lord, accept our thanksgiving as we sing in worship of you. Amen.